Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got Margaret Kucherga on the podcast. She is a Ukrainian-born founder of a local company called Margreek. It is a sustainable lighting company um, that she started um, back while she was getting her PhD from UNC Charlotte. Um, they are on a mission to be at the forefront of the re- electronics revolution for environmentally friendly and safe um, lighting products. So really, really great story, um, fun podcast, talking to Margaret today. We were able to cover a lot of her background, and you'll hear the the struggles that she's had to go through, both professionally as well as personally, as she came to the United States at a young age in, in high school. And we all remember how difficult high school years were and how she's just progressed with her, you know, with herself personally and then with the business over the years. It's a phenomenal story. The company's a, a really neat company and moving the the lighting industry in the direction that it really needs to go ultimately anyway. So really excited to share this story and this podcast today about Margaret and her company. Um, like with so many of our founders, they could always use additional resources. So feel free to reach out to her on her website um, or through social media and set up a time and see what it is out there that she might be able to help her and her company accomplish over the coming years. So to enjoy today's podcast. Hey, Margaret, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you spend the next 45 or 50 minutes talking about you and your company. So um, thanks for carving out some time for us today. As as I've told you, and as our longtime listeners know, we typically get started off, which is kind of a uh, softball question just to get you rolling a little bit. So if you don't mind giving us a 30, 60 second commercial of um, of who you are and um, a little bit of details about the company. Hello, and thanks for having me. And uh, I'll go backwards in the descriptions of uh, who I am from what I do now to my general background. I'm a founder and CEO of Margic, and uh, entrepreneurship is a big part of my life now. But I also have a PhD in nanoscale science, and I spend a lot of my time doing chemistry, engineering, physics, as well as my first profession and love is uh, ballet. So I was a professional ballerina for a very long time and still do some choreography and teaching in that area. So I like to combine the art and science and technology into one area. And my company, Margic, as of today, we are focused on bringing solutions to the current lighting uh, challenges from the perspective of both uh, environmental and sourcing issues, as well as the health aspect of current lighting solutions, such as LEDs and others. And we are working on making uh, lighting organic based, so it will be safe for humans and the environment. And, um, and with that introduction, we've got a lot to unpack. Um, so, so, so much in that brief little, um, intro. So, um, let's get started. Um, you know, uh, you, 
you came to the U.S. at a young age, right? How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was 15. You were 15? Very Um, awful age. An awful age to pick up and move cities, much less countries, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And you came from Ukraine? I'm I'm originally from Ukraine, yes. I left there, born and raised there um, on the east side of the country as well as the capital, Kiev. Then I came straight to Charlotte. So um, it's a culture shock to come from there to Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Especially from being in the capital in Kiev, very historical, um, cultural, and very vibrant, dynamic city. And then Charlotte in 2009 was a lot more rural, <laughs> uh, a lot more country style than it is today. Uh, so it was definitely a huge difference from a lot of perspectives on lifestyle as well as language. I didn't speak any English. Uh, it was yeah, it was definitely a challenging uh, thing to deal with, especially I didn't really have a dream to come here. I was just the tag along with my parents. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> had to move type type of situation. So yeah, I was a very angry teenager. Yeah. So, oh, I can imagine. So, um, so you started dancing, I would assume at a young age as well, right? Before I was even capable of properly walking, uh, to be honest, I was a, I was a late walker, late talker as well. Um, but yeah, early dancer, but very early dancer. That's indeed. And I did professional ballet there and, uh, in our educational system in Ukraine, uh, we have quite a different uh, system between the grade school and colleges. So we can do community college up to ninth grade. So you basically graduate after ninth grade and you can go to those special technical schools and start getting education along a certain vertical. And that's kind of what I did there. I, I graduated ninth grade and then uh, went into study ballet. And then after one year of studies, I had to move back to you to United to, to United States here. And uh, that was quite a challenge because when I tried to get into a school, they didn't really know what to do with me because I didn't quite graduate from high school, but I started a college. I didn't speak any English. So they were like, you're 15. You have all sorts of these other things. And you're with, at that point, it was North Carolina Dance Theater, which is now Charlotte Ballet. And for some reason, they decided we're just going to put you into senior year of high school because that sounds smart. <laughs> so um, how'd you do? Um, ballet and senior. I mean, how, how was the how was the first year or two over here, Margaret? Oh, it was terrible. I'm not going to sugarcoat here. It, it was it was bad uh, from a perspective of not that bad living. Right. The quality of life is very good and all of that stuff um but everything like literally everything was foreign even the technique of dance here was different i was studying a different school than was used commonly in the united states right now nowadays there's a lot more schools of thought here more popular but uh back 10 years ago it was really just Balanchine technique versus I studied Vaganova technique in Ukraine. So even something that brought me comfort was also outside of my comfort zone. Language barrier was a humongous problem, but I should say huge thanks to the people at North Carolina Dance Theater, 
really the dancers there that they didn't take it as, oh, she could just kind of deal with her herself in a corner and not talk to anybody. They really tried. They made an effort every single day to come up and talk to me and ask me how I am, try to ask me how was my day, how was my weekend, and get me to talk. They got a translator book, picking out the words, writing down sentences. I would try to translate them, try to write a sentence back. Uh, so it really stemmed from the people around me that they really put in an effort to try to communicate instead of trying to neglect me. So that was a big part of my learning the language experience. Because in school, like I said, I'm not exactly sure what happened and how things were decided. Uh, the way that it worked out was uh, Charlotte Ballet has contract with North, Northwest School of the Arts. So I was in the pre-professional program in ballet school while studying only a part-time in high school. So I was only there from noon to 4 p.m. and I had to go back to do ballet for in the evening and the morning. And uh, the only classes I ended up taking as my high school to get my diploma because those were kind of the missing classes in comparison to my other uh subjects that I've studied before, they put me into honors physics, honors chemistry, pre-calculus, and English 4. English 4? Don't, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> I was not even put into ESL course. I, I have never been to an ESL course. Um, it was them, right? It, it really was. And once again, I just got really lucky that I had pretty good classmates at school as well. Uh, and a lot of people would stand out for me and they, they would just say, hey, she's not stupid. She just doesn't speak English, leave her alone. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a lot of it is people focus. The way that I was solving uh, chemistry and physics problems was just because I couldn't understand what the problem said. I just looked at the units in the problem and the units in the question and work backwards into the what kind of formula I would use to get to those units in the question and do it that way. The other funky part was um, decimal here in US is a dot versus in Europe is a comma. Yeah. That took me a really long time to understand what <laughs> I was looking at until I figured that one out. So that was a fun one. Same with the unit system. I'm used to metric and I'm still not too comfortable with empirical and in science, I usually use either SI system or metric is once again, not really in need of imperial system most of the time. Um, so yeah, that's, that was another culture shock. It's just every angle was very different versus there. I was used to public transportation. I can go around anywhere I want to on my own here. You have to drive yeah. or you're home pretty much. There's, there's not really a whole lot of options for something like that. So that's really what I, what I mean by, it was bad. It's just because it was a lot at once in my first year uh, that made it very difficult. And so you graduated high school at 15 here in the States. Is that right? Correct. That's, yeah. that's what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. And yeah. the sad part happened. That same graduation is, um, and my first year, just like things already aren't crazy enough. Uh, I got a serious injury. I tore my ACL and uh, the doctors told me that I will not dance. I will not be able to perform professionally. And now, now imagine I barely speak English. I don't really have any close friends here. I don't really know what's going on around me. 
I'm stuck in four walls, not being able to walk, trying to deal with an injury. And I was just told that I also lost my career, right? Um, so your thoughts aren't the most positive in that moment, right? Especially it all just kind of boils to a point of, well, there I had everything and here I came and lost everything. So you get into that very negative headspace. Um, and to be honest, I don't really know exactly how I got out of it. You stole my question from me, Margaret. I was about to ask you how you pulled through it. <laughs> I really can't tell you a hundred percent. Some of it is just when you are so, I, I hate to use the word obsessed, but it kind of fits into this situation. When you're so attached to an idea, you're just not willing to believe what you're being told, right? Doctors telling me, oh, you're not going to dance. Didn't really make me believe it. I went to multiple doctors uh, to try to see what kind of best surgery I could have to replace the ligament to see how much strength I can recover. And I tried to find the best doctor that could do it in a way that would at least attempt at recovering the leg to the best of its capacity. And uh, I was really determined that I also always wanted to go to college. I always wanted to go to college, get a college education, regardless whether it was a dance, whether it was dance or something else that I might have chosen. Uh, so I think that's what helps to kind of gear away that focus point of negativity because there was still something else I desired deeply, yeah. and uh, me not not physically being able to do something for some reason just kind of went back. But here once again, um, I don't really understand. I didn't know the system of how educational system here works because in Ukraine, when you go to college, you come there September 1st, you do your exams for the entry exams and you start your classes if you're accepted versus here. That's not what happens. You have to apply it almost a year in advance in order to go anywhere or do anything about it. And even community college. So what ended up happening, I came in August to Central Piedmont Community College thinking I'm nice and ahead. Well, guess what? Um, that day that I came was the first day of classes. Yeah. So um, they ended up just being like, well, you can join this semester if you go into the testing room right now and uh, do math and English tests. <laughs> so that's what I did. I said, okay, cool. Great. Let's do this. And yeah. uh that's how I got into community college. So that's a year after. How, so um, we we graduate um, here in May June time time frame, right? And you tear your ACL around that same time period. Mm -hmm. um, you is it a year? No, it's that August. It's three. So it's two three months later. You're at yeah. CPC. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's how life turned around. And then for some reason, I thought it was a great idea. Like, mind you, I still just lost my crotches. Uh, I was still in like huge knee mm -hmm. looking thing. Can't really bend it. Can't really walk it. For some reason, I thought that uh, I need to go teach dance. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I still mind you, I barely speak English. I, I understood pretty well after a year. Um, you start understanding the language once you emerged in it fully about six months. And then you start to speak a little bit about a year in uh, as a young person embedded into school. 
So yeah, in my head, it sounded like a brilliant idea to look up a template of resume online, fill it out to the best of my ability to put together a resume for a dance teacher. And I printed it out and I started to walk around nearby dance studios around my house and offering my services. How'd it go? I landed a job and uh, the way that it, the deal was, uh, it was actually a ballroom studio. They said that they typically have a trial period of their new coaches and then they have an exam portion to make sure all their quote, teachers are all at the same level. They said, we can't pay you for that two week period, uh, but if you pass exam, you'll be onboarded to a full-time position. Cool. I said, cool. <laughs> Not like I have anything else to do. I'm barely walking, barely speaking English, but for some reason you're taking me. Yeah. Uh, bless their hearts. I don't know why they did that, but uh, they bought into it. They said, well, you have plenty of experience. You, you don't necessarily have to dance. You just have to be able to, to teach people how to dance. And that's, that's all you need to be able to do. Um, so that's how I got my first job <laughs> experience and college experience all in kind of one. Um, so CPCC were there, what's the, um, um, how did you tackle that first year from a subject matter perspective? And at what point in time did you start to figure out what you were going to study, um, beyond there? Yeah. Um, going back to the system difference is that in us, you sort of have to select your classes, especially especially at a community college level. It's a lot more. It's a lot less set, right? Because a lot of people are taking different classes for different reasons, yep. uh, which I didn't quite understand at first. Because in Ukrainian system, uh, you come in, you're just given a set of classes, you show up, that's it. Everything's everything is decided for you. Uh, that wasn't the case here. So my first semester, really the first year, I couldn't really understand what the heck was going on uh, and what I need to be doing, that there's like, the classes I need to sign up. So what ended up happening that I needed to get my like basic science classes and math and English and all of that. So I would be taking it in three different campuses. Sometimes I would have to move two campuses on the same day to get to my classes because I couldn't get on the schedule and stuff like that. So that was very challenging. It's just really figuring out how to make a schedule, how to understand the classes and all of that. Cause I just started out with um, really associates in fine arts because I wanted to do dance. So that's what I wanted. That's what I started out with. Um, just finishing, you know, uh, trying to study arts and I went by that program. But what happened two years in was when I tried to transfer to UNC Charlotte, uh, what I've been told is that a lot of my classes weren't transferable. So when I transfer, I would still end up being like a freshman slash sophomore. I wouldn't be a junior, even if I were to finish my associates in fine arts, which I should have finished it. I only had like one class left to do. I just kind of gave up, I said, screw it. Yeah. Um, so you've been hit with enough waves over the course of the previous three years. You didn't feel like being hit with another wave, right? Not, not really. So <laughs> all, all I could come back with was like, well, what will get me in as a junior? Uh, because mind you, as the type of visa I had was really funky. I wasn't eligible for any scholarships or aid or anything like that. So I literally, I was working just to pay for college. So coming to college prices substantially smaller than the university, right? So I was like, yes. even if I'm going to have to take extra classes, I'm going to have to take it to community college so I can pay for it. 
So um, that's what they when they told me that if you take associates in science, those will directly transfer you as a junior, regardless of the major you're going to pick. I said, great, see you in a year. Um, so that's what I went back at community college and focused on completing associates in science, which was heavily involving things like chemistry, math, physics. And I think what really influenced was the fact that community college classrooms are much smaller. It's a lot more focused, so you get a lot more personal attention. And I guess I just got lucky enough that I had really, really good professors there. And uh, I remember my organic chemistry professor there, and uh, I was really fascinated with her talking about her PhD research uh, in organic chemistry. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds like really fun. And I like chemistry a lot. I like being in lab. I like doing experiments. So I started to look into careers in that area. So by the time that it was time for me to transfer to UC Charlotte, I ended up transferring as a chemistry major, actually. So that's awesome. Um, so um, we transfer over and um, uh, how many years did you, so you transferred as a junior, so you did junior year, senior year at UNC mm -hmm. Charlotte? Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, and then, you know, um, why not stick around and keep going for your PhD, right? Yeah, I didn't really understand what PhD really was or really, I really wasn't aware of it, its existence really necessarily. Um, yeah. so what ended up happening actually, when I transferred as a junior, as soon as I got into the school, um, I was actually transferring into a summer semester. I like right away started studying. I didn't take any breaks or anything. I emailed every professor for the chemistry department saying that I would want to volunteer in their lab to do research. Uh, really not knowing that professors a lot of times don't like responding to our emails. I just thought they didn't like me. Um, but two people replied and I went in and uh, attended their group projects to kind of choose which one I want to do before I settled into one lab. So fast forward a year later, I was recommended by my professor for Charlotte Research Scholar Program, which allows uh, researchers to perform full-time research over a summer period. But the interesting thing that happened to me was even though I was an undergraduate student, I ended up actually uh, performing my own separate standalone project, which usually you would have an undergraduate student work with a master's or a PhD student supervising you. But uh, my mentor, um, Dr. Dan Rabinovich, he felt comfortable enough to where he actually gave me two high schoolers <laughs> to coach. So I had my own standalone project and two high schoolers to coach and uh, work through on the project. And I did pretty well to a point where actually people thought that I was doing my master's because during my undergrad work, I wrote a thesis and I had a thesis defense. So a lot of people were actually confused, was I? And I was there only for two years. So that's why many, many might think that I actually did my master's. No, I was wrapping up my bachelor's. And during that period of time, he said, well, have you ever thought of a graduate degree? And I'm like, no, what's that about? And he was like, well, you're kind of good at this. Um, and I'm not going to tell the phrase that he told me exactly because uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus. But uh, it was part uh, 
borderline insulting part encouraging yeah. at the same time. But uh, yeah, the, the phrase was don't quote me verbatim um, because English is his third language as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it sounded like, well, if you get a PhD, you're very ambitious and not very confident. PhD would fix both. Well, fast forward, guess what? I'm still very ambitious and not very confident, <laughs> but I have a PhD. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. I just took a chance. I said, well, I'm going to apply to a nanoscale science program because I didn't quite want to stick with chemistry directly. I wanted to do something broader. And I just said, hey, if I get in, great. If not, oh, well, I'll go get a job. So that's how I got into the PhD program um, when I applied. And uh, are you still looking, teaching dance at this point in time in school or no? I still teach. Yeah, I kind of stopped performing because my body begins to hurt. I yeah. retired from performing. I still do fundraising events and perform for a lot of the fundraising events, but uh, not consistently enough. But yeah, I still teach and I do a lot of private lessons. And I, yeah. So, um, so we're going through, um, the graduate program. Um, and, um, so how long have you been in the States at this point in time, Margaret? Um, as you're, so I came in 2009 and then I applied into PhD in 2016. Okay. So we're 20. Yep. Um, so we're running through that program. How was it you enjoy? I mean, obviously you're, you're an incredibly smart individual, um, like to be challenged. So that environment was, was helpful for you, I would assume. Is that right? Oh, first semester was God awful. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> oh, it was so bad because the difference between your undergraduate and graduate experience is uh, nobody's holding your hand, really. You're an mm -hmm. adult, right? At that point, you're an adult. You have a lot of your life challenges along with the school challenges. Uh, and that's what was very difficult transition of that mentality process. If you're an adult that has to handle their life along the side of the school. So it's it's a very different level of responsibility that you're hit with, as well as the classes are challenging and they're meant to be that way, right? The first year and second year is really to weed people out, right? Who's not really supposed to be there uh, because just having good grades and be good at academics is not enough for graduate school. You can have all A's all your entire life, but you may not be able to think around the subject. And that's really what doctor of philosophy is about. It's not because I know everything about nanoscale science. It's because I'm capable of taking known knowledge and apply it to a new problem, right? And develop that thought and hypothesis around the problem. And that, that was very tough uh, in the first semester, trying to get all of that done and, uh, seen a different side of academic life, which I didn't agree with a lot of it. And it was really upsetting to me how am I supposed to close my eyes on certain, certain things or how I'm not allowed to say something a certain way because rules or bureaucracy levels and all of that, it was really upsetting to me deeply. Um, and I really couldn't find fit with that. I said, well, if I see a problem, I'm going to speak up about the problem. Why am I supposed to stay put? Right. Um, it, it was tough. Um, and yeah. 
we've talked enough. We've talked enough on these phone calls and at uh, the Charlotte Angel Fund meeting and whatnot. I, I can see that you biting your tongue when you see something that's not. <laughs> I, I can see some challenges on your horizon in those circumstances for sure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it was very tough on on that perspective, and I get why. I mean, not it's not always appropriate. Right. Uh, there are certain levels sometimes that you have to go through. Uh, it's not always appropriate to speak up uh, about everything or maybe not in the right time as well. So that that was quite different. And uh, there were phrases by professors. And I was like, whoa, you're putting that in an email uh, that I was told that I was being too demanding and I should go find a different school. Uh, because I was literally asking people to do their job. Uh, that's that's all I was asking for them to be prepared for their classes in an appropriate manner. Um, some professors had pulled me into offices and said, uh, "If you were a male, your behavior would have been acceptable, but you're not." Yeah, that that happened too. Uh, so I, I've I've heard, I've had my fair dose of that first semester problems. That uh, by the end of that first semester, I came to the chair of the department's office and I just cried there for an hour. And she tried to calm me down and say, hey, just hang in there. It gets better. Um, just stick it out. You can do this. And uh, I'm thankful that she talked me into it, that she didn't just kind of give up on that, That's that she took you. that time. And I really appreciate it. But, yeah, it was very tough transition. Well, I've got news for you. You would have um, you would have walked out of there and, um, you know, super helpful to have somebody, a friend in that instance, but knowing you as I've known you, you would have walked out of there and been determined enough to go back and win anyway. So, um, but sometimes it's nice that you don't have to pick yourself up by yourself. You get picked up by somebody else along the way. Right. And you're not, you can't always do it. Right. We're as humans, we are seeking validation. Yep. As much as we don't want to admit that we want to be accepted, we want to be part of a community. And we're when you're being rebellious and <laughs> going up against the world, that's not always the best uh, feeling that you have. So you start, you, you really need to start surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And thankfully, there was enough of those like-minded people that believed in the same things that I believe in, in the same belief system uh, to get through it. So, yeah. So, um, at what point in time did you, was it in school, out of school? At what point in time did you start figuring out that you wanted to focus on, um, on the startup concept or how did it, how did it come about to you? Uh, it's going to be a complex answer. <laughs> how am I doing on time? Doing good. Oh no, you're in great time. We've got okay. um, Wonderful. We've 25 minutes to go. All right. Lots of time. So I'm going to start with a couple of factors and because like I said, it's very hard a lot of times to point your finger to a specific point of time of why you're making a certain decision because every decision is based on the circumstances of that moment and your knowledge and what you're seeing around yourself and where your experiences are. That's why it's difficult to say what exactly affected it. Um, but my first year of grad school not only was challenging from the transition perspective, but by the by the end of it, my father was diagnosed with very rare form of brain cancer. So a lot of that had um, gotten complicated that I had to combine daily visits to radiation therapy with my dad for 
two months plus chemotherapy, plus going back to school during research classes, teaching laboratory work to students just to make sure I could pay the bills. Um, and I really had to learn the system of uh, how to apply for disability, how to apply for uh, opportunities to pay for cancer treatments because majority of them are not covered by insurances. And in cases of like brain cancer, you have to have MRIs once a month, sometimes twice a month, and insurance only covers one a year. So it really took me a, um, a huge amount of effort to understand how to navigate all of that. Um, and thankfully, I had some pretty good social workers that tried to help me through it, but also professors at university that would try to help me with paperwork and filling out uh, all of that and uh, trying to sometimes maybe close my eyes if I'm late or falling asleep in a class uh, just to be able to push through and get everything accomplished. Uh, so financial situation was very uh, bad because I ended up being the sole provider for my father and my mother that had to take care of him 24 seven as he could no longer walk or talk necessarily. Sometimes even feeding was quite challenging, just the way where the tumor was. Um, so that was my pretty much entirety of second year uh, of my program, which was quite important year because that's where all of your classwork is being done. That's where you settle your project. Uh, for your research, and I had to just kind of figure it out how to combine it all together. And uh, in the winter, so January 2018, he passed away uh, from uh, cancer blowing up, um, which maybe it's for the better. Um, it was quite tolling on him a lot uh, by, by the end. And uh, that's when I focused um, again back on getting back to dancing because before that I wasn't, uh, when I started a PhD program, I had to stop all of my teaching and dancing opportunities, but just to kind of cope um, emotionally and financially, right? I had to work a lot in order to get anywhere and make sure that I, the bills get paid and all of that. And I started to go back to dancing. Actually, I joined a ballroom club at UNC Charlotte to kind of get myself on track. And uh, that summer I also started, um, a chemistry outreach program and I got an NSF grant uh, for that as I was looking at what is my job going to look like once I'm out of the PhD, right? You have to start thinking about that quite early on. Um, and I love disseminating knowledge, right? I started teaching at 16, right? 15, 16. So it definitely is part of my life. So I um, ended up and getting two middle school teachers into my research lab for the summer uh, to work on my research and teach them about what I do in my lab. And we've developed uh, eighth grade science uh, hands-on experiments based on the uh, eighth grade curriculum for North Carolina to embed into their programs. Uh, so that really helped kind of defocus my mind into something more creative. And I really appreciate it. I love love to death those teachers <laughs> they're, they're so amazing bless their hearts i don't understand how they do it because i actually went in a couple of days into their classrooms to help out with the science kits and the hands-on experiments and i said i don't understand how you do this alone there's three of us in this room and we're barely running around like crazy people the kids were great. The kids weren't even messy. That's that's the, the challenging part. The kids no. were even great. They were listening and we're still having a hard time. So 
after that experience uh, and next experience at UNC Charlotte came up was the customer discovery program at VenturePrize. And uh, once again, I wasn't really told a whole lot about it. What I was told when I said, well, what do I have to do? All I was told is that I just need to be able to talk. Yeah. And I said, great, I got that part. Yeah, I'm, I'm good there. I could do that much. So um, that's kind of where that part started. But that's that was my uh, middle of third year into my PhD. So middle of your PhD program, it's the next crisis mode. So I already had passed my project qualifiers. I've submitted my project. What am I going to do my dissertation on and all of that and have done decent amount of work on it? That's the point where you start questioning your life choices a little bit and you start to question, does anybody even care about anything I'm doing? Is this even helpful to anybody? Am I just doing research for the sake of research? Uh, and that's the approach I took with the customer discovery. I didn't take it from a standpoint, oh, I'm going to have the next best startup and I'm going to become an Elon Musk. That's not the side I came from. Which a lot of people are, and that's fair point, right? That just yeah. wasn't what my mindset was at that point. So what I ended up doing instead, I tried to find the original teams that invented organic lidamine diode technology, which thankful enough wasn't too long ago, just in the 80s. So all of those people are still alive and around. Um, I started to ask question of, well, how did you invent it? What happened? Why did you abandon that, that idea to start with? Because that idea originated in Kodak, but uh, as you may know, they didn't pursue it. Actually, they abandoned it um, and it was sold as sold as a separate patent elsewhere. Uh, and I started to kind of work up that chain of what are the current industry problems? What are the current benefits of this technology of organic lidamine diodes? Why they're better than regular LEDs or any other way of lighting devices. And I started to see some patterns uh, about the, the challenges that were still reoccurring. And I said to myself, well, that's exactly what I'm doing with my research. I can help the industry with what I'm doing right now. And uh, by the end of the customer discovery, you usually kind of have to say with, for your idea, whether it's a go or a no-go idea, whether you want to pursue something with it or not. And what we ended up doing with my team is we said, well, let's apply for a patent. It seems like an interesting solution in the industry. And there are big players like Samsung, LG, Sony. They're big names companies. So we would want to patent these ideas that we have. And I said, uh, let's apply for uh, a grant. So I applied for an uh, NCIDEA grant. And I said, uh, once again, I don't know why. I don't think hard about the most important decisions in my life. But I said, if somebody puts money on this, I'll start a company. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kind of reverse. Usually people start a company and then they seek for money. I just said, let's let's do this. Let's apply for money. If somebody puts money into this, somebody believes in it, I'll do this for real. And that's exactly what happened. We applied for patent, which was pretty good, smooth applications, and it was accepted. Uh, and uh, I received the NCAD microgrant, uh, which was November of 2019. And uh, I still had quite a bit of studies to do in my PhD research. So 
I've talked to them and explained that, hey, I can't work on the company right this moment. Um, I can just search for funding, do more customer discovery, but I can't take your money and do anything with it because I can't be working on the company at this point. And they were quite supportive and understanding. They were able to give me a delay by six months. Uh, on that, on that, yeah, they were very understanding, super, super helpful um, at NC Idea. So that's exactly what I did. I formed a company in November of 2019, uh, the LLC, Original Light and Charge Solutions LLC, and then I applied for NSF I-Corps program, the National NSF I-Corps. Uh, fun fact: I was the last pre-COVID cohorting person. Yeah. <laughs> We were, our last session was in February 28th, wow. right before the world kind of shut down. So uh, I had the true experience of in-person, a hundred interviews uh, over six weeks period. And once again, we did a crazy t thing with my team members. Um, I drove out to just Silicon Valley and started to knock on companies' doors really the true old school way of entrepreneurship in hopes that somebody's going to talk to us. Um, and uh, those were some of the best conversations. That's how we landed our first uh, testing with commercial partner is by just literally knocking on their door and them agreeing to try out a product and provide feedback on how it can be useful or what else needs to be done with it. Um, and then, uh, like, like I said, spring, March really hit with hard shutdowns. Uh, luckily, most of my research was wrapped up. I was just needed to write my dissertation. And uh, I was in very elevated point because nobody was hiring. Everybody was firing. Uh, yeah. It was quite a challenging environment in the, in the economy. And uh, it was quite unclear how things are going to develop, right? The first month goes by, second month goes by. Things are getting worse, not better. And what ended up happening is that uh, one of the opportunities that I applied previously uh, was I was accepted into the program Chain Reaction Innovations, which is a lab embedded entrepreneurship program supported by Department of Energy for energy and environment based startups. And that's exactly what our technology is qualified as. And they offered me this opportunity, uh, which those lab and entrepreneurial programs, there's five of them in the United States with different national labs. What they do is that they uh, place you fully embedded into a national lab. So you're able to work with the local researchers, use the equipment. You're basically become a part of that team there. You get two years worth of salary pay and a pretty decent sized R&D budget and travel budget for the company. Um, so I'm unsure if I would have pursued entrepreneurship to the scale that I have now, if not that opportunity, because that's what really what gave me a full-time ability to focus on a company and really give it a shot. And I said, well, that's, that's my once in a lifetime chance of give it a fair mm -hmm. test drive and really get it working. Um, so that's, that's how I got into it. So that's why I kind of like to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. But at the same time, if there weren't opportunities and I weren't at least, I wasn't trying at least to get into them, right? I don't think I would be here either. Oh, I don't know. You tell me that story about you backdooring your way into math problems at 15 years old. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you're a natural entrepreneur for sure. I mean, right? It's, it's problem solving and then 
Um, and then having um, the courage or <laughs> lack of fear or lack of understanding of, of just doing it right. And I mean, you talk about going door to door and knocking on, you know, um, dance studios after three months after tearing your ACL. Right. I mean, you're just, you've got the hustle that is, is necessary to, to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, obviously you got hit wave over wave of negative things, but you have some nice positive things that fell in place from an entrepreneurship standpoint. I mean, right. The chain reaction programs of, to your point, without that, it probably, um, it's probably a no-go at that point in time. Uh, yeah. I mean, COVID time was, a uh, interesting money throwing at startups time as well. So like I said, it's, it could have played out differently. I guess what would have been different was, um, the difference in the ecosystem support, right. Um, Hardware energy startups, we are in need of very separate, uh, very intense support from perspective of mentoring and understanding the guidelines and the requirements if the hardware technology, how long does it take? What are the risks? So I think that was the big portion besides the money aspect, because money you can obtain, right? I mean, that's been done for decades. Uh, but having that ecosystem of like-minded entrepreneurs and those that have done it before to share their knowledge and of what to do and what not to do and what's the best opportunities out there. I think that was the bigger help because once that opportunity hit, we were able to access our NSFSBIR programs, other accelerator programs to help really develop and really get going. So I, th I think that's the bigger, bigger outtake here is just trying to find the ecosystem yeah. that would help you move because cash can be found, but having the guidance, that's where the big challenge is, uh, because if you're not appropriately guided, you will make mistakes. No matter how many times you're an entrepreneur, you will never have all of the possible mistakes. Just period. You just won't. Yeah. Every time is going to be something new, something different that you hadn't seen before. And you can screw it up just as much as a new person would. Maybe a new person less because we're at least always doubting ourselves. So we'll probably ask 25 times because we're just clueless. Yeah. A repeat entrepreneur might get a little comfortable and say, hey, I can handle this. And they probably can't uh, because it was a new situation or the market wasn't a different standpoint at that point. Uh, but uh, yeah, once one investor, I, I won't forget that phrase that he said, he was like, yeah, we can critique here all day, but none of us had received a PhD in a pandemic and started a tech hardware company. <laughs> so anything we say is absolutely useless. Yeah. So um, we're, I don't know, about 10, 12 minutes away um, from kind of wrapping up. And again, it's always as crazy how fast it goes. Where are you now from a company perspective? What's what's uh, so we'll focus a little bit, maybe a couple minutes on where are we now, and then we'll focus mm -hmm. on where do we go from where do we go from here and whatnot. So, um, what is, what's the product, mm -hmm. um, and um, kind of where's the company stand? 
Yeah. So uh, we had pivoted 25 times by now over the past three years of existing of the idea. We originally started out as commercialization of materials for organic electronics. But as we are closer working in this market with potential customers, we quickly learned that being just a materials company is not sufficient to survive and uh, make a good profit or or even a good exit, uh, as history has shown with some of the other startups in this industry. Uh, we had to adapt a vertical integration type of strategy where we actually embed on the market a final product into which we would be would be able to embed our innovative materials. So our products as of today are organic lidomine diodes. Uh, we like to call them stickers that light up. So as crazy as it sounds, yeah, Harry Potter days are here. <laughs> um, they are literally stickers that you can put on any surface you'd like, and they will light up. They're very sturdy. Uh, you can throw them in the washing machine, drive them with a car on top of them. They will survive. They're very sturdy. So at this point, we are looking for pilots on the market to really have this technology out there and test driven by the market itself. So we're looking at different, different verticals in the especially packaging industries. So bottling, boxing uh, type of unique packaging opportunities. We're also looking at potentially some electric bike opportunities for rear lighting. Uh, we have pretty decent size panels for that. And uh, organic vitamins diodes are known for consuming substantially less powers. They're fully flexible uh, and they emit pretty good amount of light. So in things like electric bikes, where there's not really a straight plane surface, this is a great solution, um, as well as maybe in the future also electric cars where uh, you really want uh, every extra mile out of that battery. And that's exactly what we can provide with our panels. And then our recent uh, hopes are also to get into the Air Force space uh, with our technologies, with the products that would be weather proof um, as as of now, if you try to look up for lighting solutions for outdoors, there's really two extremes. You can either find something that's cold proof and not even that cold proof, only to negative 20 Fahrenheit or something that's waterproof. So if you're somewhere in a northern state, you're kind of screwed. Uh, we literally talk to people, they still just use reflectors or they have to make sure they can extend the line of electrical power axis. And that's something that we're currently working on developing a system where it's solar powered, wind powered uh, with highly efficient battery, lower power consumption for those remote locations where you really don't have any other options. Um, and it has to be very weatherproof as well. Um, it's an interesting concept, right? I imagine that wasn't the first thing you thought of when you were going. Oh, no. <laughs> so far away from it. Yeah. So, so um, product fits, market fits, you start um, hitting on those um, on those channels over the course of the next couple of quarters. And um, where does um, where's the where's the company go? Right. Where, where do you take it? Where do you? Where do you envision this thing in five years? I mean, shoot, where do you envision? Um, where do you envision yourself in five five years? You and the company. The 
ultimate goal for the company is to able to change the way we light up the world, really. Um, if you look at the amount of light up devices around literally your room, you will see there's the coffee maker with the light. There is a stove with the light, right? There are so many things we have. We use so much light. And a lot of it is A, either bad for environment or B, is bad for you. That light bulb over your head emits a lot of toxic blue light to human, which is killing to your retinal eye cells, as well as it disrupts your light your your sleep cycle. Organic light I mean, diode technology is the most natural to your sunlight technology without the UV component. It doesn't have any toxic blue, so it's a lot healthier for you. And uh, I don't have a goal of we're going to have the next best technology for your next smartphone. Instead, we're approaching the alternative uses of organic lidomine diodes where they can improve on the power efficiency, electrification, as well as sustainability aspect where devices can be recyclable or even biodegradable in the future. Because they're not today, right? Only 30% of all global electronic waste is recyclable. So, and the OLEDs would change that from a, um, from that, at least that component's perspective, right? Uh, a lot of it would be possible to be fully recyclable at that point, uh, since you would be able to switch to different types of batteries and organic batteries that are, they don't have as big of an output as a lithium battery, but it would be enough for an OLED powered device. That's why, that's why I'm saying that it would be possible to have even biodegradable devices. Oh, that's crazy. Um, so, um, man, your story. So, um, uh, you, you've got to have a thousand or a million people in your corner pulling for you. You've had a lot, um, a lot fall against you over the course of the last gosh, well, you moved here in 2009. So the last 13 years, right? Oh yeah. Um, so, um, but you're building a pretty cool project. How, um, how's the support in Charlotte been? Uh, mixed feelings. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to say neither great nor terrible. Um, I would say from a perspective of entrepreneurship overall, great efforts. There's a lot going on. There's constantly new programs popping up. There are lots of people excited and helpful and are there and ready to help in any way they can, whether it's just um, answering a question or giving an introduction to somebody. Uh, so the community itself is very good in that perspective. What lacks in a lot of the ecosystem, and I'm not really talking just about North Carolina, it's, it's really lacking just about everywhere except Silicon Valley and maybe Texas now, just because they put a lot of effort and Colorado is kind of trying as well. Every other area has uh, really poor support for hardware tech startups that are energy focused, sustainability focused, climate tech focused. That it that really needs to be a huge community effort. It cannot be done with a couple of startups. It really needs to become a big push of a lot of people working together at the same time. It really came down to even some basic things like we couldn't access for a really long time lab space that could be rented by 
just a couple of hundred square feet, right? We can't afford having a huge warehouse up front. It is simple things like that that we need help with, and it's very, very, very difficult to access. And uh, I wish there was more of something like that in the area because um, we're losing a lot of talent. That's what I see happening is that a lot of great startups begin in Charlotte area and they end up having to leave just because it's so difficult to stay um, and there's not a whole lot of support. But from a standpoint of um, either other things in the area, since Charlotte area is known for kind of fintech, right, and finance and banking, from that perspective, it becomes a lot more luxurious positioning because yeah. there is no competition in hardware tech, right? Yeah. So there's a lot more freedom and you get support on the business development side. So I would argue that I'm still better positioned than a Silicon Valley startup in that sense, uh, that I just have to put extra effort to surround myself in the right community or build it myself, which is what we've been doing for the last couple of years with the Charlotte community, just trying to build it out. All right. So then we'll put, we'll put this as the final question then. So um, outside of capital, because every startup always needs capital, right? <laughs> easy answer. Um, outside of capital, what are the two things that Margaret needs most over the course of the next two years that the community or not, sorry, not next two years, the next six to 12 months that the community could help you out with? recommendations for space that can be used where we can put in hoods and clean rooms. Yep. So it needs to be a warehouse style that we can rent, mm -hmm. uh, that we can modify. So anybody who's in that industrial warehouse space would be super duper helpful for us. Right. And uh, the other focus is commercialization in the packaging industry. Uh, it is a quite interesting space since we have to communicate with both brands and distributors and packagers as well, the producers of packaging. So any experts in that area would be super helpful. Well, let's see if we can't get that for you. Um, so, I mean, again, Margaret, I mean, um, you know, coming to the U.S. and the challenge that you had, um, school, dance, losing your father, which I lost my dad right, right around the same time that you lost yours. And, I was in my own safe space and and you weren't. So I can't imagine how much more difficult it was for you. Um, and, and then, you know, in the midst of that, you know, starting to incubate an idea and a concept and, you know, the challenges of the university and the PhD program um, and then COVID um, one might say that you haven't had it easy yet. You've continued to find a way through it. So it's a truly awesome story. And I'm you know thankful that you're um, willing to sit here and share your story as well as your startup story with us today. And, um, you know, as I said, you've definitely got at least one more people, one more person in your corner. Um, if there's anything that we or the community um, can do for you, certainly let us know, but, but thanks so much. And, uh, continue best luck and, and please stay in touch and let, let us know what we can do for you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. appreciate it. Same thing goes to the listeners. Uh, if you have any further questions and I don't know, career shifts, moving countries, <laughs> whatever, uh, dogs, I also breed uh, fish and uh, snails that always gets people thrown off. So uh, if you want to just grab a cup of coffee in Charlotte, I'm down. <laughs> Let's go. That's awesome. So you're my first fish breeder I've ever met. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> a good way to finish the story. Thanks so much. I, um, I appreciate it. And I hope you um, 
uh, I hope you have a, a, a good end to your year and a, an even a better start to 2023. Thank you. You as well. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.